So please turn with me to Acts 16. We continue our study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, we'll be looking at verses 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 40. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord and ask for His help with the text. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Word, we pray that You would help us with it. More and more, we see truth under attack in our culture, but we have to understand that it's attack even in our own hearts, and we need first for you to show us more and more daily the truth, and we find only truth in your word. So Father, we pray that you would convict our hearts of sin, that you would lead us to the truth, that we might worship you more, that the world would know. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was reading this text this week, it made me think of one of the worst experiences I had as a kid. Or not, it wasn't a one-time thing. It was an over-and-over thing. And that was when it came time to pick teams in in PE. Um, I enjoyed playing games, you know, like kickball and dodgeball and that sort of thing. But I did not enjoy the process of being daily rated by my classmates as to where I stood in dodgeball prowess. That was not a good thing for me. It was almost as if those dodgeball player ratings carried over into the other classroom, like into math and reading, a place where I was actually better than most, but I wasn't because I wasn't good at throwing a dodgeball. Or even into my high school years when PE really wasn't even a thing anymore, but those ratings still kind of, kind of stuck with you. There was this show that everyone's going to be familiarized with this. I was actually reminded of it very intimately this week as our new bells in the building sound just like the opening bell of this show. This show is called Saved by the Bell. And there was an episode about picking teams and Zach Morris the show's lead and one of the worst human beings ever to, to live, even if he was a fictional character. He was allowed to pick teams for this upcoming event that they were going to have. And, of course, he picked the biggest, fastest, strongest in the school. And the other team was kind of full of just the leftovers. Well, the coach, being uh, clever, switched the team captains at that point so that Zach got to lead the leftovers. And, of course, it's a show, so it didn't have any real justice. Zach's team ended up winning, as it always did. In our text today, Paul and his group of of followers there and his, his group of fellow workers in the gospel are in the city of Philippi, and they're sharing the gospel with a different people. And the team there in Philippi is beginning to take shape. A prosperous businesswoman who sold purple goods. Not a bad start. And today we're going to read about the demon-possessed slave girl that joins the team. And then the jailer who's going to join the team. Now, who knows who else? The leftover team is complete. It's not... The team that we would have picked had we given, been given the choices, right? We would have picked almost anyone else, but we weren't the ones picking. Sometimes we do get to pick those whom we minister to. Sometimes they pick us. 
And sometimes neither thing happens at all. There's no real picking except for the Lord Himself who's acting in the lives of two people and bringing them together. Seemingly being happenstance to us, but there's no such thing as far as the Lord is involved. As we walk through this text today, we're going to see this thing happening to Paul and his group. We'll see how our own comforts, as Todd was alluding to earlier, get in the way of what God might be doing through us and even in spite of us oftentimes. I think it's helpful because ministry is never really the best team, first and foremost, because we're on it. I think it will show us that we must rely on the head of the church, Jesus Christ, in order to do the work of ministry, in order to see his kingdom come to this earth. So with that, I want to consider three points from the text. Annoyed by a slave girl, questioned by a prison guard, and then lastly brought together by Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's look at the text. Acts 16, starting at verse 16. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Acts 16, starting at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly... There was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, he saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he baptized, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought brought them up into his house and set food before before them. And he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported those words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. 
And Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And, they do, and, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they had heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and they departed. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just a quick review of where we're at. Remember, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and probably some others are in the city of Philippi, which was near Mount Olympus. Paul is going to continue to get closer and closer to Olympus, the Greek center of pagan worship. They got together there to meet the Jewish people living there at this center of prayer. They met Lydia, who was converted under the preaching of Paul. We are told that the Lord opened her heart, remember that from last week's passage, to cause her to understand what she was hearing. This is what happened to Paul as well, was it not? Back in chapter 9. This is what happens with anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. He gives us the faith to put back in Him. It is our faith, but it is ultimately a gift from Him. Apparently, at the beginning, here in our passage, they were going back to meet with this same group, maybe even the next Sabbath day. It could be that Lydia was the only convert it could be that there were more there that had gathered together and started to become this, this little church there in Philippi. One thing I've been encouraged with in this book over and over again is the fact that these small groups that met together and were converted and joined together in worship continued to do so even though they were oppressed on all sides. Usually from the first moment they became the church. And they were even challenged by their own cultures that they had grown up in and knew so well. I think it shows us that the gospel is compatible with all people because all people need the gospel. And it shows us now, or it shows us to now not lose heart when we ourselves are this small group who is seemingly oppressed on all sides. The Lord is watching over us too. And that brings us to the first idea here, annoyed by a slave girl. Look with me at verse 16. As they were going to the place of prayer, or as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So again, they were on this place of prayer, which was kind of like an almost synagogue that was there in the city where the Jewish people met to pray and to worship. And they were met by this girl who the text says has a spirit of divination. The Greek in this text is actually very fascinating. The Greek here says that she had the spirit of Python. Talk about things that will send you down some crazy rabbit trail of reading about Greek mythology for several hours. The spirit of Python, we're all familiar with the word Python. It's a big snake, right? Well, it was a big snake in Greek culture as well. Python was this giant snake that guarded the oracle of Delphi and the oracle used to be called Pythia which is where kind of it gets its name Python was said to be slain by the god Apollo 
because Python killed Apollo's mother or something like that. And then Apollo took up the, the place at Delphi. He changed the name and called it. And he had, there was the oracle there at Delphi. Either way, don't want to miss the symbol here. Actually, has nothing to do with Greek mythology. It has to do with real spiritual warfare going on. The snake versus the savior. The spirit of the snake versus the spirit of the real living God. It's pretty incredible there to see. Notice what she's shouting. These men are servants of the Most High God. They're preaching a message of salvation. Is she wrong? No, she's not. Is she? Some have been, some have suggested that she's suggesting the presence of other gods, and that was why Paul was upset with her. Uh, we only know that there's one true God, sure. And Paul was upset with her for that reason. We don't know. Maybe that's the case. But what it says, it seems like that she's saying the truth. Paul does the same, does he not? When he suggests that these, there are other gods, little g, suggesting that these little gods are really just demons masquerading as gods. You'll find that in 1 Corinthians 8. I wonder where he saw that for the first time. Probably right here in this passage. Whatever the case, why did Paul get so annoyed with her? says that she was shouting this for days. He did much better than me. I would have been done after just a few minutes. But he began to be annoyed with her after many days. And it could, could just be as simple as her constantly shouting the same thing over and over again. Sometimes we want to over-spiritualize these things. But Paul was just annoyed. And it definitely had to do with the fact that here is a possessed lady demon-possessed lady, Paul, having this strong spiritual discernment, immediately discerns this of her and calls out to the demon, not to her, calls out to this demon to leave her. We may want to ask the question, why would this demon, this spirit, cause the person to shout the truth? Isn't this isn't Satan, who's kind of the head of all of those demons, the father of lies? Of course he is. Satan will tell you 100 truths so that you'll believe the first lie. And I think that that's probably what's going on here. Liars oftentimes know the truth better than anyone. That's why they're so good at not telling it. They know exactly how to twist the truth. Paul, seeing straight through this, drove this spirit out. He saw right through the... The crazy facade. For many of us, it may have been difficult to do, but he cast the demon out in Jesus' name, the only name at which they tremble, and the demons left. I think this is a good thing for us when we are doing ministry. There are going to be many times when we are annoyed. And probably is going to have nothing to do with some spirit of python or any other spirit for that matter. It's just going to have to do with our own sense of being annoyed. These are just the facts. Friday, for instance, I leave school. This week was a difficult week. I wanted to just go home, sit in my chair, stare with my eyes closed. Yes, you can do that. Uh, and I walk in my house, and there's some kids that aren't mine that are at my house. Is there anything wrong with kids that aren't mine being at my house? Absolutely not. I want our house to be a safe 
place for the neighborhood kids. And the neighborhood kids just happen to be really good friends with my own kids, which is also a really good thing. I want our house to be a place of friendship and ministry, a place where people have fun, a place where the truth about Jesus Christ is upheld and proclaimed. But I also want my house to be my sanctuary, a place where I can indulge in myself, a place where I can indulge in the back of my eyelids if I want to do that. Of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting to rest in your own house. Don't get me wrong here. But for me, sometimes it becomes an idol. We all have those things, whatever it is, whatever annoys us that just happens to be mine. When it comes to, when it becomes an obstacle in our ministries, we have to be careful, brothers and sisters. Sometimes our sense of being annoyed is just us, our idols being attacked. We have to be careful. Paul may have been wrong or right here of being annoyed. He was obviously right for casting out this demon, but we have to be real careful with that sort of thing as we do ministry. It's very easy to get annoyed. There are going to be people that are going to annoy us. There are going to be situations that cause us to be uncomfortable all the time. I would say if you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not doing ministry. But the Lord is going to use those situations over and over again to be glorified. Hear this, he is even going to create those situations to see his children grow in grace, to learn some, to stop thinking about themselves so much. I'm not sure if it was wrong or right, again, for Paul to be annoyed here. Not the point. But I do know it was right for him to proclaim the truth, to defeat Satan by proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord could easily be annoyed with each one of us could he not people who never get it right people who always turn away from the only thing that can give us good we turn away from it like we're little toddlers yet rather than be annoyed he gives us good things continually he teaches us the truth over and over he shows us our sin he is long suffering with us He blesses us even though we curse Him. How are we doing this in our own ministries, brothers and sisters? How is ministry annoying us? If it is, how could the Lord be using that to see His name glorified? That brings me to the next point, question by the prison guard. Paul and Silas quickly create enemies here by driving this demon out just as the spirit of python left her their ability to make profit left them it's kind of a sad situation really if you think about the plight of this slave girl who doesn't have a name uh, it almost seems as if they were using her as kind of a sideshow to make money but now she's free from that free of that bondage and they were mad of course they were And so what did angry people do in those days? And what have we seen angry people do throughout this book? They go and they get more people to do that. We're actually seeing that more and more in our own day. They organized a mob. And they had Paul and Silas dragged into the marketplace and beaten publicly. They were shackled to the inner prison, like the prison inside the prison, and shackled to the wall as if they had committed some heinous crime there with the other probably murderers and who knows who 
and here Paul and Silas. This is nothing new for them or for the church. The church had been facing this sort of thing since Pentecost. We've read about it. They will continue to and will continue to, sadly. The world will never accept the truth of Jesus Christ outside of Christ's own intervention. And sometimes, as we're going to see in the lives of many of these people, he just doesn't intervene for whatever reason. One cool thing I thought about as, as, re, as I was reading this, this overarching theme of the book of Philippians, is the, the letter to the church of the, in Philippi, is the idea of joy. If you read through the book of Philippians, you'll read that over and over again. Rejoice in all things. Well, here they are in this Philippian jail in the midst of persecution and suffering for not doing anything wrong at all. And what are they doing? In the prison, inside the prison, shackled to the wall, around midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, rejoicing in their sufferings. Paul knows that he should rejoice in his sufferings. He wrote about that in Romans 5, because those sufferings produce sanctification in the life of a believer. They bring about God's great plan. It is bad for a time. This is bad. We all have experienced bad. Some of you are experiencing bad right now. It is for God's great plan. It is for your sanctification. And as they're singing, there are many in the jail listening. There's this kind of mini church service going on there. And then there's an earthquake. Earlier in the book of Acts, we had where this, the angel came and kind of caused things to be shook up. We're not actually told that here. It could have been an angel or something like that, or it could have just been providence. An earthquake happens, as is prone to happen in this part of the world. And because of the way things were built, everything just kind of came undone in the prison. Whatever it was, it's definitely the Lord's doing. Earthquakes don't happen outside of him saying go. And so we don't know that that's what's going on. But we do know the doors fly open. The prison is no longer functioning as a prison. These people could have just got up and left. There weren't lights, but they could have probably found their way out. This isn't the first prison break in Acts, except this time they all stay put. Just as the guard is about to kill himself, why would he do that? Well, the guard, if prisoners leave, the guard is, is faced with facing the punishment that is due those prisoners. Some of them probably on death row. He saw he would go ahead and save himself the torture and just kill himself. Just as he's about to do that, Paul says, hey, wait, no, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Assuming him and his friends and then all of the prisoners that are listening to them sing and pray. So imagine this jailer, this Roman jailer who has seen all sorts of things. Who knows what sorts of things? The worst types of people in their worst times. He's probably surprised by very little. So when the jail sprung open because of some natural occurrence, he just knew that people were going to be flying everywhere, leaving the prison. His only hope was to just end it quickly so he wouldn't have to face judgment. And here they are. They're still sitting there. And he is shocked. Maybe he heard them singing. I've thought about that. Maybe he heard them praying about the God of their salvation, Jesus Christ. I'd love to know what they were singing. Whatever it was, he was overcome by this feeling 
by the Lord coming and opening up his heart that he would understand. And he goes to Paul and Silas and he says, verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? When we are doing the work of ministry, we're going to come across people who will expect a certain thing. Anytime you offer something, people are going to immediately ask, what's the catch? I mean, I'm the same way. You get the phone call and they're like, hey, we want to send you on a vacation. No, you don't. You want to make me buy something, right? Or you want to do this or do that. We don't really, we're all skeptics, right? And so we as believers have something very good to offer people, right? And they, they're going to immediately, what's the catch? Even for the church, we have a reputation of wanting more people because we want more money or we want more of a more reputation. I mean, people will often say the only time, the only reason y'all want more people is because you just want more money. Churches are all about getting money. I don't, I've never been to that church, but apparently a lot of people have. They can't imagine that we'd give them something just for the sake of being able to give them something, for being able to proclaim the name of our Lord. Paul and Silas could have ran here. They could have. They could have run out of the prison. They could have freed themselves. But they stayed. Why did they stay? Well, they probably stayed because they knew full well had they run, the jailer would have lost his life. This is a completely selfless act. And through it, the jailers himself and his whole family heard the gospel and were baptized. And notice what he had to do in order to be saved. Verse 31. Verse 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. We believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Todd read from Romans 10, which confirmed the same thing this morning. Belief in the Lord Jesus. That's what we must do. So what are our motivations for doing ministry? Do we want people to think well of us? Do we want to be seen as knowledgeable and spiritual? Do we want other Christians to look at us and say, wow, look at that super Christian. They're really good at doing Christian things. Or do we want people to be saved? Those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive, but they oftentimes are. Anytime that we have selfish motives in our ministry, we are robbing God of the glory that is due to Him alone. Making much of something that we couldn't do without Him in the first place. And so Paul and Silas, through their selfless act, this jailer comes to them, wants to know how to be saved. Him and his whole family hear the gospel, are baptized, and then we have again the beginnings of this small little church in Philippi. And that brings us to the last point, brought together by Christ. In the last section there, starting at verse 35, you get the idea that something is wrong. We only read about Paul and Silas being drug into the prison. Maybe Luke and Timothy were left out because they were all Roman citizens. Um, and the, the magistrate just happened to miss the fact that Paul and Silas were also uh, Roman citizens. But nonetheless, Paul lets them know, verse 37, the jailer comes to release them. He says, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, 
And do they now throw us out secretly? No, he's not going to have it. He knows his rights. He's a Roman citizen. I mean, where do you think our own country got many of their own their rights, right? He had a right to a fair trial. He had a right to unreasonable punishment or to for no unreasonable punishment. And he had not been afforded any of those rights. He knew that, and he was now calling that out. And there they were, the city, a city that's being controlled by Rome with Roman officials in the midst of a Greek province. They were making bad decisions with a crowd that had already proved that it could go mob crazy in just a few seconds at the drop of a hat. They didn't want to stir up the mob. So look at verse 39. So they came and apologized to them. Here we are, these Roman officials apologizing to a couple of Jewish guys that they had just threw in the prison just several hours previous. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Understand this. What does it do for those who are associated with Paul and Paul's group that the magistrate had to come and free them and let them out and apologize to them? You might think this is bad for the church, but does do those people want to ever go crossways with the church in Philippi ever again? No, because there's going to be a memory of what they did wrong. Those people now, that church, that little slave girl, the jailer's family, Lydia, the purple seller, and everybody else who is now associated with that church are going to have uncommon favor, at least for a time, with the officials because they don't want the, those officials don't want to be exposed for their error, and they're going to be left alone for a while to see this small church in Philippi grow. And so you have this ragtag team that has been put together and they're going to get an advantage right out of the gate. We don't see that happen very often in the early church. And it wasn't because Paul was some sort of mastermind behind this. No, Paul took a beating and was thrown in jail. It's because the Lord is good. It's because he always does right. He always chooses perfectly. It's because of his uncommon mercy for his people. He takes a group of people that nobody in their right mind would have picked And he makes them into a people that would have the world changed through his name. As we do ministry, we are going to encounter people that have been beaten and broken. We're going to encounter people who are annoying. We're going to be faced with situations that seem insurmountable. Yet God is in control. And not in control in the way that he's going to kind of come behind us and sweep up the messes that we make. No, he is in control in the fact that he orchestrates the messes by his grand design so that we, his people, will only then lean upon him. And so he gets all the glory. No one can look at this story and think, wow, Paul and Silas were awesome. They're going to look and see that they were faithful to preach the gospel. Jesus did all the work, and he then deserves all the praise. So in conclusion, as we go about our own work here at Redeemer, even as we look forward to the purchase of this new building and we meet the families that are in the area over there by that building, we're going to come across things that look like Acts chapter 16. We have to remember whoever and however the Lord has planned it for us. 
and he will see it come to pass, and it will all be good. It might always, it might always be what we've chosen, that's for sure, but rest assured it will be the best thing for us, for his glory. So let us be people who minister, even while we're annoyed, because the Lord is doing a good thing. Let us be people who look past the veneer of what they think is the best and see the Lord working through all things, good or bad, to see his kingdom come. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I admit that I'm oftentimes annoyed and I don't see what you're doing and it makes no sense to me and I'm sorry. And so Lord, help us to lean on you, to trust in you, even when things seem at their worst, even when they feel like someone has been shouting for days on end the same thing over and over again, even when things feel like that, help us to rest in you to see what you're doing, to see your kingdom come, to see your name be praised. It's in your name we pray. Amen.